This is Company the Podcast. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast bringing together ambitious women in the bush, the cities, and all over the world. Right now, here in Australia, many of us are being plunged back into lockdown due to COVID-19. And for many, the second time around is harder, more isolating and more mentally challenging. But what if you never left isolation? Today's guest, West Australian dairy farmer Talia McSwain, has been stuck on a boat, a live export boat, in a port in South Africa for more than 100 days after their plans to disembark were derailed by confusion and COVID-19. I came across Talia on Instagram about two months ago and I have not stopped thinking about how mentally challenging, how boring and how scary this experience would be for her. But she is a bundle of strength and mature beyond her years and I hope that you are equally as blown away by her story as I am. I'm Talia McSwain. I am a dairy farmer from Bustleton in the southwest corner of Western Australia. Um, I am currently stuck on a live export boat uh, due to COVID. So that is currently where I'm at. That is so amazing and mind-boggling to me. I just, I just don't know how you're doing it. So tell me, Talia, where exactly are you now? So the boat is actually alongside um, a port in South Africa. We've actually been waiting to load some sheep to head back to the Middle East, but there's currently a situation, but but that's out of our control. So um, yeah, we just we've been in South Africa since the 9th of June, hoping to be out of here by the 7th of August, but we will see. Are you confident that that will happen? Um, yeah. So either way this boat will either sail back to Australia if we don't load with the sheep or we will sail back to the Middle East when the permission is granted to to load. So either way, this boat will be out of South Africa in the following two weeks, hopefully. Are you stuck there because of COVID or because of other regulatory issues? Um, We are stuck here because of COVID. So we were actually meant to get off in the Middle East when we did our first voyage. So that was Fremantle to three ports in the Middle East, Oman, Kuwait and Qatar. And um, our exporter had actually said to us that he was going to guarantee us getting off in Qatar because the embassy and the Australian embassy had a plan in place to get us Australians off. 48 hours prior to our arrival in Qatar, I am not sure what happened, but it was just a, it was a no for us. So, um, we couldn't actually disembark the vessel, so we've had to stay on board until until who knows when. But we have tried numerous times to get off in South Africa, but there is a bit of a it's a bit of a um, like a catch twenty two. I mean, the South African government will give us permission to get off, but the airline doesn't guarantee us a flight. And, you know, even if we got out of South Africa, we could end up in, um, where were we going? Qatar. We could end up in Qatar without a flight back to Australia. So it was a really, it was a really um, 
we had to think long and hard about whether we wanted to take the plunge and go or whether we just stay knowing that when we stay here we are safe and this boat will return to Australia but you know in the next two to three months it's not like we can go back tomorrow it's um yeah it's a bit of it's COVID versus um the government versus everyone else so it's there's everyone has done all that they can do for us at the moment but it was um yeah it's it's just an odd situation tell me a little bit about how you felt in Oman when you heard the news that you weren't going to be able to get off the boat so we had just finished discharge it was yeah sorry yes discharging the loaded the loaded stop to um head back to head to their next destination the feedlot in Qatar and um, the cattle were the last the last to get off and as the stockmen you normally oversee everything and the crew on board don't really aren't really confident with the cattle so I'm the I was the one that got in and counted and and um, <coughs> led the animals got them off the boat and um, it was about 3am in the morning and you know you've been up I think discharge was about 36 hours. So you were up the whole time overseeing everything, making sure animal standards are maintained and um, all of those kind of things. And you've got paperwork to do and all of those kind of things. So it's 3am in the morning. We've packed the last that we heard that we were getting off. Then we hear that the pilot's on board at 6am. And I'm like, oh, okay. So do we have time to have a shower? And, you know, do we have enough time? And then it was just one of those moments where, you know, the captain came to you and said, oh, you're, you're not getting off. And in that moment, um, it was just like everything kind of just stood still and you had to kind of process it. And then I went back to my cabin and then there was just tears. Like it was, I think it was from, you know, being overwhelmed that we couldn't get off and we didn't have a date to go home and you're so tired from discharge and, um, like it was, it was just a, just the what am I doing moment. It was, I don't even know how to explain and, it. And scared. Were you scared? Not scared. It was more, I didn't, I couldn't plan for the future. I, I had all these ideas and all these things that I want to do, you know, in the past two or three months, but I haven't been able to do them because I'm still here. And um, wasn't, no, I wasn't scared. I was just, I was more disappointed than anything because um you know you hear from the exporter that he has guaranteed you to get off and then the next minute he doesn't even know and it was <clears throat> I think the lack of communication between the exporter and us is is probably one of the most disappointing things at the moment and um yeah it was it was just a surreal moment you're like okay you're stuck here <laughs> you've got 186 meters by 32 meters to do whatever so has there been lots of false starts since since then? Like, when have you been able to uh, be sure that you're not getting off, but still that you will go home by the 6th of August? It was actually myself who decided to take it, take it on my own chest and um, try and organise us to get home because it really felt like the people back in Australia weren't trying to do anything and I don't know if they were off if they weren't it was it was just how I felt in that time so you know I took it to the consulate and I took it to um 
Qatar Airlines and, you know, there's repatriation flights to France and Amsterdam and Qatar, but there's never a guarantee that we will get back to Australia. And especially with the, the limitation limiting how many people come into Australia now you know our flight could have been cancelled because another one had come in and they would have been over their limit of people so there's been a few false false starts and you know you get your hopes up because you're like oh maybe this is the day that we will go home to our to our family and to our to our businesses and you know we were meant to go home on the 11th of July and then it was the 12th of July and then it was the 18th of July and then it was the 25th of July and then, uh, yeah, no, we were just like, okay, well, guess we'll stay on. And I, and when it comes to the June 6th, we know that because that's when uh, the boat or the company or whoever gets permission whether to load or not. So, I, so we do realise that if we load, we're going to be sailing somewhere. Uh, but if we don't load, we will return to Australia. So, um, you know, secretly I'm hoping we don't load but that's, that's just me. But this company's still got a business to run and, you know, they still got to get income and stuff like that. And if they load, you know, good for the company and it's good for um, the South African country to realise that, you know, what live export isn't so bad. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's more about knowing that we will be sailing in August, not just sitting here. I mean, although we don't mind sitting here because we... Um, have access to reception and stuff like that but it's it's more like it's a step forward into knowing that we're one step closer to home I suppose. So why couldn't you just sail back to Australia? Um, because Australia puts a um, not a ban but they don't export sheep to the Middle East between the months of June and September because it's far too hot in the Middle East to um, discharge the sheep. So, um, so pretty much this ship and the two sister ships of this ship don't have a contract with the Australian exporter until those times. So this boat wouldn't have never returned to Australia until it was required to be in Australia. I so don't know if that initially you were going to get off the boat. You're always going to get off before COVID. You're always going to get off the boat and fly home. Uh, from what we understood, um, the exporter had told us, yes, we were going to get off in Qatar and fly home. So how was it that you ended up, that you came to be on the ship in the first place, Talia? Um, I've done three voyages prior to this, uh, this voyage. So... When I first did the stockman's course, I got put on a boat to China. I did one to China, one to Indonesia, and, oh, no, I've only done two. Three, this is my third one. Um, and then normally the exporter will contact you um, to be an onboard stockman, and this exporter just happened to contact me, and I was like, sure, sure. Like, I, I didn't really think about the consequences if things turned sour or not sour, but things went downhill. And, you know, I'm, I'm always like, yep, yeah, I'll just do it, you know. And because um, every voyage requires a stockman and a vet, depending on how many animals are loaded on board. So I was just, you know, just, just a normal stockman and the exporter just asks you to 
join the vessel. And so you're like, okay. What attracted you to do that work? I don't know. I'm, I'm very not settled at the moment. I don't really know what I want to do or where I want to go or whatever. And I've always been interested in live export and especially sailing um, with the animals to their destination. And, um, you know, the course is quite expensive and uh, the Young Livestock Exporters Network put an initiative out um, course and um yeah I just put my hat in the ring and ended up winning it and so I went there and then they helped me get my first boat and then from there it just kept rolling on and you know one of the really good things about my first boat was we had sold some Holstein heifers to this certain exporter and they happened to be on the same boat so I got to travel with them and it was really quite cool because I had I had AI'd their mothers and then they were the calves and I got to you know, pretty much go through the whole process with them until we got to China to be able to, you know, trim and like as sad as it was to let our little babies go, it was just a humbling experience to, to be with them throughout their, their journey. So who's with you on the boat? Uh, so this boat, well, all boats come with a crew. So this crew has you know the captain and the chief and the second officer third officer a cook a laundryman um the bosun the bosun is like the head man of the crew that are in the sheep house so you work with bosun every single day um who else is there engineers um deck fitters you know every everything that you could possibly think of there's someone on board so there's 56 of us on board here um myself and another and another australian who was the vet during the well he is a vet but he was the vet um during the voyage so he's still here with us um and then this this crew is pakistan bangladesh indian that type of um, culture and uh, it's actually really quite quite interesting learning about their culture and picking up certain habits that I have along the way and yeah there's 56 of us on board who are some of them the crew normally do a contract between four months and nine months and some of them have you know exceeded that due to COVID they also can't get off so it's not just us Australians that are stuck it's the it's the boys who who've done over their contract who can't go home either. Is there a language barrier? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there certainly is. Are you able to develop friendships? Is it just uh, going through sign language? Because it's just sort of in confines with each other. It would be a very interesting social experiment. Yeah, so um, there is that cultural language, language barrier. Some of the time, you know, I have no idea what they're saying and they probably have no idea what I'm saying. but <laughs> You know, with the help of me slowing down my speaking and using the right terminology, that can really help the boys out. Um, and then, you know, there is this one one chap. He's he's just adorable. He um he'll always say hello to me in English and then have a conversation with me in Bengali. And I'm like, oh, okay, I have no idea. But I just stand there and I smile and I nod and. Then I'm like, okay, see ya. And, you know, he's just, he's totally happy that he just had a conversation with me. Not that I had any idea what he said. But I love it. Tell me more about boat life. What do you, what are you doing every day? Oh, every day 
is, you know, so different. You know, when you have no livestock on board, you just, you're kind of lost because normally, you know, with livestock, you have a routine and you know exactly what you have to do. But here, with no livestock and um, I've just, you know, tried to do some home workouts, but I get, you know, so bored and just have no, what is that word? <laughs> motivation. Yes, that's the one. No <laughs> motivation to do anything. So some days I will just, you know, just have a bad day and I'll just be cocooned in my bed. And, you know, some days it's it's tough mentally, but I have I, um, the company's office here, you know, gifted me with a laptop so I was so I'm still able to do my uni work and um I've downloaded some books but I haven't really read them yet and um I've pretty much just really got stuck into my uni um in the past week considering we don't know if we'll have reception or um wi-fi in the upcoming weeks to finish what I have to do in that time so I've really just knuckled down and focused on uni and that's what I have done the last week, but prior to that, you know, I'm not the most patient person and yoga, I think, is just too calming. But I, <laughs> I have, you know, devil, I've deviled into some yoga and um, I normally go for a walk every day. And If you were to go for a walk, how long would it take you to do a lap of the boat? Oh, like two minutes. <laughs> but, I mean, there's 11, there's 11 decks. So you can, you always go down and you can go up and you always find someone to talk to. So, but then sometimes, you know, there's on particular days, there are particular things that happen. So on Friday, the boys come and they change the sheets on your bed and, and that's one thing. And then on Tuesdays, the boy, the crew member who sits next to me at dinner, he's never there because Tuesday's his fasting day, which is just another cultural um aspect of his religion and then on Sundays we have ice cream so you know it comes to a certain day and you're like wow are we already at Friday or are we already at Sunday and you know some days are just a drag and you know I'm in bed by you know 10 to I was in last night I was in bed at 10 to 6 and then <laughs> and you're like I just have no idea what to do anymore you just how do you sleep you though I am not the best sleeper, regardless of being here or at home. I'm very up and down and tossing and turning. And um, sometimes my mind runs really fast. And I think of all these things that I've never even thought of before. And so sometimes, you know, sleep's not relevant. And then other days you have a nap during the day. So you kind of you just go with whatever. Like, because we don't have anywhere to be, nothing really to do. You know, you, you just do whatever you feel is best for yourself. Do you feel the boredom or not really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what else I can say about that, but, yeah. yeah. Some days you just, you've got nothing. You've got all the things that you bought with you. And normally I'm very prepared, but I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared to stay on board. So I found that a struggle. But, you know, as I said, we are really lucky to be alongside a port and I was able to grab some personal items. Um, they went out. The office here went out and, you know, brought some things for me. And, you know, they've been really lovely and really accommodating to help us with the situation. So that's probably one great benefit about being stuck here in South Africa. 
unlike my friend who's out just floating. She's she can't do anything. So yeah, you kind of have to find the positive in every in every day. Yeah. And what about things, practical things like um, how do you wash your clothes and where does your food come from? <laughs> washing, oh, so funny. Uh, we actually, there's actually a person on board who does the washing. It's like boarding you know, school. You put your clothes out. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so that's really good. But you do, there is a little washing machine down in the bathrooms that you can do your personal items in or some or whatever you wish to do in the in the washing machine. And the food comes from alongside port. So the catering officer along with the captain does an order and then it gets trucked to the ship and um, actually lifted onto the ship via crane. So we're still social distancing and we're doing all that we have to do to prevent COVID. And even when the ship is out in the ocean um, there is a there is a port near UAE and that it comes to the boat so they always from what I can understand they always order three weeks worth of food um, and then because it'll only ever take three weeks to get to a destination so they've always got their selves covered what's the hardest thing there's so many hard things yeah, there is. Um, I think the hardest thing is not being able to plan anything for the future. You know, I have a wedding in October and I can't even do anything. I can't like, oh, do I get there in time? And, you know, I can't book, not book anything, but I just, you know, I just have to really take in every day. Like I, I can't, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. And Yes, I see. He, and nothing to look forward to. He What's doesn't that? propose to me after this. I said, if he doesn't propose to me after this, there's something wrong. With <laughs> uh, so, so you've got a boy, you've got a, a partner, boyfriend back at home. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How's your yeah. family going? How are they going? They must be so worried. Um, uh, I don't think they're worried as such, but I do know, you know, every time I tell them, yeah, I normally talk to dad about this because sometimes mum gets a little bit emotional and I'm like, oh, God, I don't need any more emotional um, happening right now. So I talk to dad and, you know, I get the consulate to talk to my father as well about what they've got in place and how they're going to help all of this. But, you know, when we were meant to come home on the 18th, I called him the night before and I said, oh, you know, it's it's too late, we can't get on the plane. And he was he was livid. I've never heard my dad so angry in my life and because I am a very big part of our family business I think they are struggling without having me there to take the reins over a little bit more so you know dad's dad's picked up pretty much nearly everything that I've done as well as his own jobs so I think they're finding it hard yeah and I think it's I don't think they're worried I think they just they would really like me to come home and but they do know I'm safe and I'm healthy as I can be. And, yeah, they're, they're just riding the same wave that I am. Do you ever feel unsafe on the boat? Not unsafe as such. I just, I would prefer to be home if that, if that justifies it. Yeah. I am the only female on board and sometimes I just, I just hide in my room 
It's not that I feel unsafe, it's just that I I got nothing. I can't do anything else. Yeah. Different beings too. Yeah, such such a different culture and you've got to learn about what's respectful for them and what you can do to ensure that you are being culturally competent. So it's so huge. Has it changed you as a person? It's just completely plunged you into this uh, life-changing situation and such a battle of endurance. Yeah, I don't. I think it's taught me a lot about myself. It's been a prolonged uh, twenty-three days, as we first expected. Um, it's definitely taught me a lot about my own personal development, about how I can grow, how I can grow from this, and how every day has has inspired me to be better than I was the day before. You know, some days I just I just want to hide. Like I just I feel just sad that I'm not at home and I can't get home until whenever. It's just been a very big learning experience um, for personal development development and personal growth going forward after after we do go home and um, yeah it's it's taught me a lot to to just be really appreciative of what you, what you have available. Um, you know, I understand that Victoria's in lockdown and, you know, I would just be so grateful to be home and to be in lockdown at home. And, you know, while other people are whinging that, oh, we have to wear masks and we have to, and we have to, you know, stay home in isolation. There's just so many things that I would give to just, to just swap spots with them and, you know, show them that they probably do really have, they have it really, really good. Even if it's just temporary, it's, it's still better than the alternative. How are you feeling about being back on land and home and the adjustment period? It, I reckon it's going to, it's going to take a lot. Um, and just trying to find my routine back at home and it, it'll just be like starting, starting fresh all over again. Cause um, I am normally a really big CrossFit junkie and, you know, even going back to the gym, I'll have to start back at square one and, you know, that'll give me, that'll, that'll give me a run for my money. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be able to teach me that I just, I just got to take my time and I, and I just got to go with whatever is in front of me at, at the present. How old are you, Talia? 25. I actually had my birthday on board. You had your birthday on board. I had my birthday um, whilst on board this morning. Yeah. <laughs> How was that? Made me a cake and the boys celebrated like we had cake for morning tea and then we just got on with it. Just just another day on board the boat. Mm. Well, for someone that's 25, I just think your uh, maturity about this whole thing is staggering. It's... Um, yeah, and I suppose it's that's the thing too. It's the only way. The only way that you can do it is just to tackle it head on and be mature about it. Yeah, there's not much that you you can do really. Everything is out of your control. And I know that lots of people have reached out to you. Well, I, I from your Instagram, I see that um, you said that lots of people have reached, reached out, out to you. Is that the case? And what kind of um, small acts of kindness are they doing for you? Um, they're always just, you know, messaging me and checking in to see how I am and always 
they always say they're thinking of me and um, especially farmers, they, they send me pictures of their farms and their cows and, and I love that. I love being able to see, you know, what they're up to and, you know, what they're really proud of. And um, Beck from the Red Road Collective, she's such an amazing woman and she actually sent me this scarf that I'm wearing today and she sent me a candle and some soap and I don't know how she did it, but she just went, she just went she just did what she thought was would help me and you know I love this scarf and I love candles and yeah it was just it was so humbling to receive something from someone outside that is so beautiful so she mailed it and somehow it got to you on the boat I think she actually ordered it from somewhere in South Africa and got it sent to the to the company's office and then they brought it down to me. So mm. she's, she's a treasure. How beautiful. Hey, um, what are the first three things you'll be doing when you get home? <laughs> Getting a coffee from my local coffee shop. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. Yes. Going to the gym and, um, probably getting my eyebrows or my hair done you know something to just make me feel half human again yeah can I add another one I'm just gonna hug my family that's mm. that is all that I am going to do I'm gonna just squeeze them I can't it just makes me a bit emotional to think about your reunion and um, how are you feeling about the how are you feeling about the the sale is that how you uh, how you refer to it the the ship trip back and taking yourself out of um mobile connection and stuff are you excited about that or a bit worried or I am a bit worried because you know as I said you know I've got my university studies still going on and I'm and I'm trying to do the best that I can without having any distractions and you know it's been really good to be sitting here and just focusing on uni not having to go and pull a calf or go and help dad do some fencing or go and help mum in the office with some paperwork. You know, every time I go to sit down, something always happens <laughs> on farm if I was back in Australia. But here I can just, focus. no one needs me. No one possibly needs me. So it's so good to just focus. And um, yeah, it probably it will be a little bit hard to be out of reception and Wi-Fi for, for that amount of time. But as long as I can smash enough of uni as I can now, for the next week, I'll, I think I'll be okay. And I've downloaded some books, so that'll take my time from scrolling social media to actually being present in my book rather than just... Yeah, I bet you're sick of social media, but you can't wait to switch it off. Because there's such a time difference, I always I get to catch up on a lot of people and I've, and I've you know, spoke to people that I ha haven't really spoke to in a while. So it's, mm. quite, it's quite nice. Yeah. Well, best of luck with your trip home and um, I hope it's all uh, wonderful being back at home and that the transition is really kind to you. And I just am so thankful that you agreed to speak with me, Talia. And I'm, um, yeah, so, so thank you for doing that. Thanks for having me, Sky. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. That was young West Australian dairy farmer Talia McSwain speaking to me from a ship that's been stuck at sea for more than 100 days. Depending on when you listen to this, hopefully Talia begins her journey home to Australia in the next few days and can be back with her family soon. 
Thanks for chatting to me, Talia. You can follow her on Instagram at notTheAverage underscore farmer's daughter. And a few things before you go. I never really ask for ratings and reviews here, but if you are liking the podcast, I'd love a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're into newsletters, then I have one, which comes out every Sunday, well, well, most Sundays. You can sign up on my website at mansonandcompany.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Talk again soon.